Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Journey Through Life podcast. This is Justin Barton, the host of said podcast, and I'm super excited today to be able to release this episode in which I sat down with a friend, a mentor, a coach of mine, Christer Rasmussen from Sweden. He's a great guy who has helped me see some of the things that are most important to me in my life and helped me formulate a plan to get to those things. But in addition to that, he has a great story, a life story of lessons learned, of wisdom gained, and of plans for the future. And I'm excited to get to this. I've entitled this episode, Focus on Your Priorities. And I think you'll see why as you get through um, and listen to this episode. Now for a little bit of housekeeping in regards to this podcast. First of all, if you have not already subscribed to the Journey Through Life podcast, why not? Um, Get at it. Just scroll down on the um, podcast platform that you are listening to this on and hit subscribe. And if you love it, hit review and rate us and review us there on the service that you're listening to us. And next thing, follow us on Facebook. Um, At JTL Podcast is our Facebook um, handle, as well as our Instagram handle. Follow us on both of those. And share share these episodes that touch you, that, that mean something to you with your friends, your family. Let them know things that are most important to you and invite them in turn to share the things that are most important to them with you. Now for the next bit of housekeeping, our partners. I'm super excited about our partners. A Life Untold is a fantastic partner. Now let me tell you a little bit about them. A Life Untold is a company that helps absolutely anyone turn their life story into a beautifully designed hardcover book. Their process is designed to be easy for anyone. All you do is complete an interview with thought-provoking questions about your life. You can either do that online or get one of their biographers to interview you live over the phone. After the interview is complete, A Life Untold takes over and designs, prints, and delivers your story as a hardcover book to your door. This opportunity to record a life story can make a great gift to a loved one who you would just love to have this information on, or you could do this as a project on your own to share with your posterity. It makes a great gift to others. I'm grateful to announce that listeners of the Journey Through Life podcast will save 10% on all orders by using the code JUSTIN at checkout. You can find all the details on their website at www.alifeuntold.com. Now remember to use the promo code JUSTIN when checking out to save 10%. Now what are you going to do with this book once you get it? Well, in my case, when I get my mom's book, the one that she's working on, I'm going to put it in a place of honor along with the... Um, mementos I have from others who have gone before me, like my grandfather Clyde Taylor Higginson, who I've read several stories of in the in their own words segment at the end of these episodes. I, I'm placing them on a beautiful floating shelf in a place of honor in my home that's supported by shepherd brackets. Now shepherd brackets are high quality, heavy duty brackets that hold up these stylish floating shelves that look like they're just floating on the wall. But using shepherd brackets, they are strong, sturdy, durable, and will stand through the test of time. To get your own 
Shepherd Bracket and Floating Shelf, go to the website www.shepherdbrackets.com and check it out. Make sure you use promo code Justin at checkout to let them know where you heard from it. Shepherd Brackets is spelled S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D Brackets, B-R-A-C-K-E-T-S dot com. Now on to this conversation with Krista Rasmussen. Now we're going to learn a little bit about his life, what it's like to grow up in Sweden, and some of the things that he has found most important through some painful trials and through some victories. Krister is also an author and a coach, a life coach and a professional coach, and he has some very good platforms that he has learned and developed and now shares with others. Now, at the end of this episode, we're going to do another In Their Own Words, and this one's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a poem that is written by one of my wife's ancestors, Elva Beatty, and I'm looking forward to that one. Enjoy. All right, so I'm sitting down here with Christer Rasmussen. He's joining me from somewhere in Sweden. Christer, tell me where you are in Sweden, and then a little bit about your first most important memories as a child. Wow. Well, it's a lot easier to answer where I am then. I'm, I'm in an area called Jönköping in Sweden. It's quite south. My first memory as a child. Or maybe one that sticks out as an important memory from when you were a child. I have not always been religious, no. But I have always loved when there has been religious parts in my home or in my life. Something that really sticks out from my childhood is when I was seven, eight, and nine years old, first, second, and third grade in school. At Christmas time, we were allowed to have our own candles with us, and we had a candle lit on our desk, and the teacher was reading from the New Testament about when Jesus Christ was born. Mm. You see, that, that's absolutely forbidden to do anything like that in schools in Sweden today because that's you know way too religious. But also my mother read sometimes from the New Testament. And I remember me and my dad, we were lying on one sofa, candles on, dark. And my mother was reading from the the New Testament. I always had a very good experience with having anything to do with the scriptures. It was cozy time, dark candles. And that's something that sticks out from my childhood. And it's something that I... I embrace and keep with me even nowadays, both the scriptures, but also the, the darkness and the candles and the cozy time. I, I always loved that. And I mm. had lots of it in my life, both as a child and as an adult. So were you born in the same area that you currently live now? It's really boring to say yes, isn't it? But it's actually mm. true. I, I lived in England for two years. Uh, and that's kind of the, the only time I've been outside my area than Jönköping. I live in a countryside now in the house. I grew up in an apartment more downtown. So I guess I have moved a little bit. But I've always been in this region, so to say, of Sweden, yes. Why have you stayed so so close to where you grew up? Is, are there certain things that have kept you there that you love about the area or, or, or what is it about it? I actually do love the city that I belong to. We are surrounded by lakes and that means we're also surrounded by, you know, waters and beaches and it's really nice. I do really like it, but I also am a very comfortable person and, you know, moving is, it's very uncomfortable. Uh, so I guess, um, I guess a lot of it has to do with just being comfortable, lazy, 
don't want to take any unnecessary risks when it comes to that. But I do see myself to grow old. I'm actually 50 years old this mm. year, so I guess growing wow. old, I already passed that, but, but growing older, I would actually like to live somewhere else. I don't want to die here. I, w- I would like to die in the northern Italy, to be honest with you. Oh, in northern so, Italy. Uh, Oh, yeah. I, I'm, and I'm not in a hurry to die there. I'm just in a hurry to get there, so to say, because I, I just love Italy. So, um, yeah, I've been around here, I think, for a lot of reasons. And, and that is uh, both bad stuff, like being lazy and comfortable and scared. But I, I do also like it here. I really do. Hmm. So what is it about northern Italy that kind of draws you there? When I was there, I was up in Venice. Uh, it was everything from the smell, mm-hmm. which was a nice smell, mm-hmm. um, the weather, uh, the people, the, you know, I, I love the concept of having a rest in the afternoons and they actually do have the siesta time yes. even in Italy, you know, they close down the shops in the middle of the day and they open them up later on in the afternoon to be open in the evening. So I like that concept, but it's beautiful. The architecture, I, I don't drink any alcohol, but I'm kind of fascinated by the wine culture and wherever you look, you know, in Italy, they, there's always something to do with grapes there. And that could be a very, very small section of somebody put up a little bit grape plant or whatever or could just be a row of the row of the row and i just find it very beautiful very relaxed i think i like the pace the atmosphere the architecture the culture hmm. you know it just um, feels even more home than this does and i've just been there once but i, I do um, love it i find it interesting that you mentioned i think it was the first thing you mentioned about it, the smell of it um, smell has a very strong um, power in our memory. What what about the smell of Venice makes you remember that? Well, the problem is I don't remember the smell, but I remember one night being out walking by myself. That was not in Venice particular at that time. It was, I can't remember the place. Um, I was there with work anyway, doing some business for Electrolux. And uh, I just had some time by myself on a Saturday evening and I walked around and it was quiet it was uh, just a small town kind of thing but it was beautiful and i just remember then and there oh it smells so nice here hmm. uh, smells has not been a big part of my childhood or anything but i hmm. actually do remember one of my cousins at their place there was a certain kind of smell in their apartment and it was always the same smell every time i was there and it was a it was a nice smell and but but I can't say that my life is all about smells and I, I right. recognize smells or anything. But when I was in Italy, it was just, ooh, it smells just so nice here. Mm. So, yeah, I just got caught on that. Interesting. I'm not moving there, though, because of the smell. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> it didn't make that much impact on me, but it was part of the whole nice experience. The whole experience, right. Yeah. Because a place smells a certain way isn't a reason to, to move there. But uh, No, no I just want to make that clear. That it doesn't sound like that, yeah. Right, right. So you mentioned your cousin, uh, you know, a certain smell at your cousin. We're going to get away from the smell, but I want to talk about your childhood. Who were some of your peers that had influence in your life when you were younger, maybe, you know, as a teenager or, or perhaps even younger? 
I grew up with some of the best friends in the world, and we still see each other sometimes. I'm a member of a church, and as a member of that church, I joined that church when I was 18. Mm -hmm. I used to say sometimes that almost everything that is good in my life is connected to that decision to join the mm. church. I, uh, my work comes from there. Uh, my family comes from there. I'm actually remarried, and my wife now, she's not a member of the church, but my other wife, I met on my mission, and we have eight wonderful children. And uh, so a lot of friends, my family, my work, everything comes from being a member of the church. Mm. And those are all good things. But there is one good thing that is part of my life that actually got nothing to do with my church. And that is the friends that I grew up with. Mm. They were, I don't know, I just feel very lucky and very blessed to have such good friends. And we still have contacts even to this day. They were just a big part of my life. Some of them perhaps a little bit more than others, but I think they had the most or biggest influence on me in my life. Where I grew up then in that area, there was... A, a lot of kids in my age then where it didn't go so well for uh, drugs and, and alcohol and those kind of things. And I didn't have that problem with my friends. None of us were religious. None of us were part of any church or anything in those days. Mm -hmm. But we had good values and we had good friendship and we had good times. And we, um, we supported each other a lot. It's just, I, I think I would have to point them out as being the greatest influencers in the early time of my life mm. so my, my old friends from an area or neighborhood called Eakog and that's where I grew up mm. and they were all from there and we spent a lot of time together what's a, a something that you did together as a group of friends that really kind of cemented things did you do a lot of sports did you do a lot of exploring what types of things did you do together Right, we clearly need to take clear something out then. Uh, I'm a stamp collector. So, <laughs> no, we didn't do any sports together. I'm not a sporty person. I did try some sports, but I was completely useless at everything. No, we just, well, when we grew up a little bit older, we did party a lot together. And uh, again, that was before I joined the church. So then there was a lot of alcohol involved, but it never got any further than that. So we spent a lot of time out clubbing, and that was fun. Mm -hmm. But when I grew up, we just, I can think of a particular one of those friends called Johan or Johan Ottosson. We kind of slept at each other's almost all the time. We lived very close to each other. So, you know, it was just uh, talking a lot. And we did stay up many nights talking. And um, I still love staying up, you know, late talking. I guess I'm, I'm actually very Greek in my blood then because, you know, they do say the Greeks like to sit down and drink their coffee and just talk all day. I don't, I don't know if that's true or anything, but if it is, I guess I'm Greek. Um, <laughs> because I, I just love this staying up late talking. I, that's one of my favorite things I do with my wife now. We're still in this, we've just been married for two years. So we're kind of still in this stage of getting to know each other. But that's something I appreciate most, staying up late, sitting down, talking and listening to each other. So we did that a lot as when I grew up and I, I love that it is actually said that I was born old mm. I was like three or four years old and my mother found me in the sand pit and I was raising my hands up because I didn't want to get my hands dirty so this is about staying up late and talking with friends I guess you know that that just is a little bit of the person that I am and I know that doesn't sound very exciting and funny to some people but 
I love this. It's the coziness over it. Just sit down and talk. And we did that a lot, and I love that. Yeah. Do you have any topics that you really enjoy talking about when you sit down and talk to people? I think we talked a lot actually about life, about values. Even if I was not religious then until I joined the church when I was 18, I was always interested in religion. And I think we had a lot of religious discussions. Mm. Um, I actually cannot remember, but when me and Johan then, I'm referring to Johan Ottosson, have met in the olden days, we still seem to talk about life. We have... Today, I would say we have very different values. I'm the only one that is religious or Christian amongst the, mm-hmm. amongst the group. And um, so very different values, very different experiences and so on, of course. But we still talk about deep things. And I like that. I, mm-hmm. I am not much, you know, for mingling with people. I, I'm actually completely useless at it and I have to excuse myself so many times for work because it's just a matter of time before I say something stupid or do something mm. stupid. I'm just not very comfortable around people that I don't know. These people I am very comfortable with and mm. I just love the conversations we have and the, the talks we have and um, I guess I love talking and listening here. So now we know I'm a stamp collector and I like to sit up and talk all night. I guess this is not going so well. I got no sports to talk about. I got, you know, nothing exciting like that. Yeah. No, no. Hey, you know what? This, these are meaningful conversations here. Things that are meaningful to you are meaningful to, to others. So let me ask you this of your ancestors, whether it be your parents, grandparents, an uncle or an aunt or something like that, whose legacy is the most important to you? Who, who of your ancestors has had the biggest influence in your life? I'm not very close to my family. My father passed away in March this year. And I have to say that I, I understand that cancer is a dreadful disease. Don't get me wrong. And, and he had lung cancer, but mm. he gave us a lot of time to talk and get down to some deep things and things like that. And I, I really appreciate that. You know, he could have been run over by a bus, you know, when we would have no chance to, to sit down and talk. So the time that he was in the hospital or hospitalized, we, I, I really took the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him and we got to talk a lot. And I, I appreciate that. Um, I realized later on that he was very high on drugs because of all the pain he had. So I guess it was not that deep conversations, but mm-hmm. I appreciate the time I had with my father mm-hmm. anyway. But I'm not very close to my father or my mother. All my grandparents are not with us anymore. I had no, I actually had an aunt. That is not, that was not from the apartment where the, there was a strong smell. Uh, mm-hmm. I had another aunt, and her, uh, she had three sons, the youngest of them, Niklas. He's the closest I come to a brother. I don't have any siblings. So that was, a, mm-hmm. he was two or three years older than me, and we spent a lot of time together. But my auntie then, we, I really appreciate the time I had with her. And when we were getting a little bit older, so to say, so me and my cousin didn't really have much in common anymore, didn't spend time together. I actually got to spend time with her. And yeah, we sat up late nights also talking, but I, I love those meaningful and deep conversations. And we had some, and I think she had had a great impact on my life, which I am actually very grateful for. 
My father comes from uh, the south part of Sweden. And we used to go there a lot in the summers, in the winters. And that side of the family, they were quite close together. Mm. And that was uh, every time we were there, it was just absolutely wonderful to be with them. So I just loved being with those, that part of the family, south part of Sweden. But I think the one that had the biggest influence on me is, um, her name is Maybrit, and that would be my auntie, my mother's sister. But I also had an uncle through marriage uh, on my father's side then down in Sweden. He's not alive either anymore, unfortunately. He had a great influence on me because he was just really fun and, and really kind. And I do actually like my father's twin brother a lot. Mm. Uh, we also had a chance to get a little bit closer now than after my father passed away. When he was on the way to pass away... He came up and visit, and he was part of the funeral, and we, we had time to talk. And uh, he has always struck me like a very interesting person. Mm. And uh, that has always fascinated me. The conversations I have had with him have always been very interesting because he is an interesting person. So there are some, but I guess my auntie then on my mother's side here, she's the one that was closest to me. And uh, then the, my uncle and my uh, uncle, <laughs> my, mm-hmm. my father's brother in South Florida, Sweden, they have had a great impact on me. Perhaps not so much influence, but still impact. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's neat that as you thought about that, you were able to draw these, these connections to these people that you, know, you may not have considered before and the impact that they've had on you. I, I'm glad... That, that I asked you that question, I think it was... Helpful. Me too, yeah, good question. And it was um, good to reflect upon it because I don't reflect upon it so much otherwise. So it was, uh, it was good that you brought that to my attention, yeah. yes. So I want to um, talk a little bit about, I mean, <laughs> as we speak, it is absolutely obvious that you are a very proficient English speaker but you're from Sweden. You were born there and raised there. You did, you said you did live in England for two years, but living in England for two years doesn't make one years later still really good at speaking English. Tell me a little bit about your experience in learning English and why you speak English so well. Uh, well, I, I had the great privilege to serve as a missionary for the church I'm a member of, and that was 91 to 93. So, mm-hmm. If I wouldn't have had much English between now and 93, I, I, I understand, you know, that my English would have been a different league. But you see, I married a woman from England. I baptized her when I met mm. her on my mission. And I married her, so I kind of took with me the, the best thing from England. Uh-huh. So we always spoke uh, English. We were married for 22 years, and we always spoke English to each other and to the children. She still lives here in Sweden, and she speaks Swedish. But we still, to this very day, we always speak English, and I always speak English to the children. Mm. So it's kind of have become more than my second language, I would say. And again, my wife now, she's from Russia, and I speak absolutely no Russian, and she does not speak any Swedish. So we speak English also. So that is just with me all the time. Mm. And now it's also a lot of English in my work also. So so you've had many opportunities well it sounds like you've been immersed in 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 english for 
20, 25. Since 93, 91, sorry, since 91. So we're 28 years now. Yeah, yeah. 28 years. Mm, let me ask you this. How's that affected you socially in Sweden and your children socially in Sweden? Tell me about the effect of, of having English spoken in the house more than Swedish has affected you and them. Some of our children have had difficulties learning how to speak, but that has been pronunciation uh, difficulties, which have nothing to do with that we speak two languages. Right. So I don't think there is a connection there, but they had to see a therapist, you know, to, mm-hmm. to try to learn to say some things. But they said it had nothing to do with that we spoke English because they had the same problems in Swedish and in English. Okay. So it was another problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, though, it has affected my kids in a way that they are a bit uncomfortable speaking Swedish. Mm. And that, I guess, uh, can make it a little bit difficult to, to have friends and things like that. Uh, some of my children have had a hard time to make friends, and some of my children have had it very easy to make friends. So, you know, when you have eight children, you kind of mm. get to see the whole aspect of kind of everything there. Um, I was going to say some have talents and some don't have talents, but that's not true. What I mean is they have different talents. Right, right. And, and some have uh, speaking problems and some don't, and some have problems to make friends and some don't. And mm-hmm. so uh, you, you get to see the, the whole, uh, whole uh, range. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so my English is not that good. You, you get to see that. But um, I don't think it has affected me in any way more than in a positive way then because mm-hmm. it is very useful in the business that I am in. I'm also an author and I write books in English. Mm. Um, they do need to be corrected a lot. I just want to say that straight right. away. Uh, I, my writing skills are not that good, but with great help, you know, it turns out really well anyway, and I appreciate that. So um, I think it has been a great advantage and blessing for me in my life to be very comfortable with both Swedish and English. Mm. For my children, I don't know. But I think now when they're older, some of them are older. My oldest are 27. Mm. I think they appreciate to have the... The, the two languages so, you know, spot on which uh, everybody in Sweden don't. Most people in Sweden do know English, but obviously my children knows it on a different level because it's actually their first language. Yeah, so, so you said you have eight children. The oldest is 27. How old's the youngest? Uh, 11, she turned last Monday, two days ago. Wow, that's awesome. So 11 so, to 27. And, and I want to stick with the English thing here for just a second with your oldest children. For work, for, for the things they do for a living, has being bilingual helped them at this point? Or do they pursue no. things that are specific for that reason? No. Unfortunately, they don't take fully advantage of the language. Some of my children have inherited the I just cannot study from me Uh and they're not very interested in study and uh, my oldest daughter she's 25 now she's starting to become a teacher she goes to the university in stockholm but Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with the language still because i don't think english is one of the things that she is uh, trying to become Mm. a teacher in so no they're not they're not using that unfortunately as much as they could and should have yeah. So what are some things that you are proud of your children for? 
But just for being who they are, I'm proud of. And um, I have some of the children that actually have had, I would say, uh, just great desire from the beginning of their lives to do the right things. No, that, that's not with all of my children, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I can think especially of two of my children. They, they always have had a sense of what's right and they always have had a desire to do what's right. Mm. We have had problems with drugs and alcohol in our family. And uh, again, with many children, there's always you know, a risk that people go their own ways and they should all go their own ways also, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. their own ways is not always the way I would like them to take. And um, I have to respect that. But even so, I, I have a great love for them. But my oldest son, Connor, he has a great compassion for people. And I admire that. He's very understanding and he's a very good listener. And um, that is, I think, a ta- we're back to again talking, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, that's qualities that I really appreciate, you know, having deep and meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm. And he's really good at that. He's really good at encouraging people to, <clears throat> to uplift people, to support people. That's a talent. And I'm not really sure you can practice that. I mean, soccer, you can, if you just play long and hard enough, you know, you, you're eventually going to score the goal. Uh, but listen to people, have empathy, have sympathy. I don't know if you can practice that. Mm. He has it, and that is a, a quality I really appreciate. Mm. My, my oldest daughter, then Megan, she just she just don't give up. She has made some choices in her life when it comes to schooling and studying and things like that, which she didn't like. And I said, why don't you, you know? Do something else than no, because I'm not a quitter. I said, you know, yeah, but if it makes you unhappy. But no, she just, you know, put the marching boots on and she did an amazing job when it comes to her study and the results Mm. she did. Um, So no, she's not a quitter. I I have to give her that. Mm. Uh, So no, my children have different talents. I would say none of us are good at sports or uh, playing instruments and things like that. One of my daughters, she's joining a choir and she really enjoys singing and she's also very good at singing. But um, I think my children have more people skills than soccer skills Mm. or violin skills. I think it's more people skills. And I think that's a good thing. I think being able to interact with people really helps uh you know develop those relationships that can really help help us in any aspect of life yeah. throughout our lives so i think that's really good sometimes if i'm focused on soccer for example and that's all there is the connections i gather through soccer the networking i do through soccer might be kind of limited there you know there still could be some good connections but it's not I don't think it's the same thing as if I'm just really good at interacting with people from no. all varieties and all places. No. no, it is true. I think, to be honest with you, I think we live in a troubled world today. I think, as I understand from my children, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of kids out there that are really suffering. Mm. And that could be with drugs. That could be with cutting themselves. Mm. That could be with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like the pressure 
that is on children today is something I don't understand. I can't relate to it because I have not experienced that myself whatsoever. So to have the people skills then, I think that's, um, you, you can have great possibilities to make a good and positive influence in other people's lives mm-hmm. with those skills and talents. And um, I'm very happy for the children that have those skills and talents because I do think, yeah, I think they're good. I I think they're God-given talent. All talents, I think, are God-given. But I think they are are a blessing. They can really be a blessing to other people Mm -hmm. when you have those people skills. And I think a lot of my children have those. And I'm very impressed uh, and very proud of them for, for how they use those skills then, yeah. So you, you mentioned that in your family, and I'm assuming this means in your immediate family as well as maybe some extended family, there have been some issues uh, with drugs, with alcohol. I'm assuming that's synonymous with addiction in yes. your family. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your experience with addiction and how, what you have learned from those, those experiences that you're having and have had. I I am a very addictive person. Uh, yeah, okay, I eat a lot of chocolate, but I am a person that can easily get hooked on something. I don't have any addictions in my life, but I never, ever played any video games because I'm a little bit worried. And I spend a lot of time watching good films and things like that. So it's not like, you know, I'm very effective all the time of my life. Absolutely not. It's just... Right. I don't want to play those video games because I'm a little bit worried about it. If I like them, you know, I'm just going to stay there. And I just don't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I never gambled uh, because I'm a little bit worried about what will, if I open up that door since mm-hmm. I, I know I am an addictive person. Uh, I, like I mentioned, I'm a stamp collector and my addictive personality can come through there because I actually have faces in my life where I really, you know, it's, it's stamps all the time kind of thing, reading about it and, and do stuff. So again, I have an addictive personality. Um, but, you know, I think the worst things you can be addicted to than stamps. So I, I right. don't think that's what you were, were going for. Mm-hmm. I don't really know if I have learned much because I have never had problems like that myself. Mm-hmm. But children of mine have had it. And uh, also then in the family, a little bit further out, we have had those problems also with alcohol and drugs. But yeah, they are in my family, immediate family. And my experience is that if you pull a Jonah, you're very likely to end up like Jonah. And I'm referring to Jonah's from the Old Testament. He was cool to go on a mission and he it's not that he just said, mm, I don't want to do that. He, he literally ran away from that right. calling. He got on the boat, you know, to go away so God couldn't find him. And uh, then we know the story about the big fish and things like that. And he had to spend three days in the belly of that big fish. I have seen some of my children then that have not just not fulfilling their calling, duties, responsibilities, opportunities in life, they have literally run away, turned to drugs. And I have seen 
how much problems that have caused for themselves in their lives. Mm -hmm. I would say they have definitely experienced a lot more than three days of darkness and problems. Yeah. So what I take with me from that is really that if you pull a Jonah, you're very likely to end up like Jonah. Mm. And uh, it turned out really well for Jonah in the end. And I can see that with my children also, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. But I, I do think that it's one thing to not do the right thing. Mm -hmm. There's another thing to actually run away from it and do something completely that you shouldn't be doing. And I'm talking about drugs then. And I can also see then how much they suffer from those choices. Because in the end, there is, it is their choices. Right. No one else made that choice for them. So if you pull a Jonah, you don't be surprised if you end up like Jonah. Yeah. So for other people who are dealing with or have dealt with or will deal, deal with these types of issues with their own kids or other loved people in their lives, how, how do you strive to go about maintaining your relationship with your kids, strengthening that relationship and having hope for the future? You mentioned, you know, I have, uh, I envision that things will work out okay in the end with my kids. How do you maintain that hope? Well, I think the first thing you should not do as a parent then is to point out to them, if you pull a Jonah, you're going to end up like Jonah. <laughs> that is, you know, just thoughts I keep to myself. Uh, but I think what we can do as parents, which might, for some of us, not for everybody, because again, people are different. And that's the great thing that people are different. But some people are just more loving than others. And I'm a fortunate part of the people that are not very loving. Um, that doesn't mean I'm very hard. No, no, no. I'm just not a, you know, I'm not that lovely, dovey kind of person. Mm -hmm. But I do see that as a quality and I wish I had it. But I think what we can do is, well, I think what we need to do is we always need to love them. And we always need to make sure they understand that we are there for them no matter what. And uh, that is something that I wish I would have done differently, that I would have done better. Mm. I had a life-changing experience in April 2017. It would not be fair to say that it changed my life straight away, but from that I made choices that changed my life constantly and it still affects my life in a very positive way. But I had a life-changing experience in April 2017 and from that I changed a lot as a person and I am much more understanding now and much more kind and much more slow to anger. I don't have anger. I don't have frustration anymore. I actually manage to just let go of all that. But I do think talking, again, I know we, we're back to talking. And seriously, Krista, can't you do anything else than talking? <laughs> but I do think deep and meaningful conversations where we listen, I think they're underestimated. Mm. I think there is a great value to, to listen to your children and to talk to children like grown-ups. Mm -hmm. My oldest son, Connor, he said something really funny when he was 18. It was not funny. It was actually heartbreaking, but it was still funny. We didn't argue about it. We laughed about it. But what makes a heart aching is that he was true. Uh, he was right. I said to him, he just turned 18. And that was my first oldest son that, you know, that's now an adult. I mean, how do you deal with it? Right. So I said, you know, Connor... Do you think you will ever come to me, you know, and, you know, ask for advice in your life? So, no. 
I said, okay, you answered that a little bit too quick, but, <laughs> but why, why would you not do it? Because you don't know anything, he said. Mm. I said, okay, yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, so, we, you know, I don't know how to change the tire on a bicycle. I have to be honest in saying mm-hmm. that, but I am good at talking. I am good at listening. And I'm good at giving advice whether people want them or not. But um, when there's been a chance giving, and sometimes actually I also have actively seeking up the opportunity, I have listened a lot to my children and I have spoken to them. And I love and treasure those times a lot. I was going to say more than anything, but that's not true. We've done lots of fun things and I love doing fun things. But talking and listening to my children that is something I always have loved and valued. And I think when kids are in that particular situation, they don't want to talk or listen. They think, but I think they do. Even mm. if they don't want to, I think they need to. And the best thing we can do is to listen. I'm a teacher, you can say by profession, but there's got to be a time when we stop teaching and listen. Mm. I'm, I'm a father, but you know, you got to, stop being a father sometimes, you know, and, and listen. So yeah, that's important. You mentioned this life changing hinge pin moment that happened in April, 2017. Are you willing to share that with me and just go into detail? Absolutely. I talk a lot about it in my seminars because it's uh, again, game cha- it was a game changer for me. My wife, she left me in April, 2016. We're married for 22 years. And uh, I felt quite relieved when she left. It was like, you know, oh, good. But then you go, you go through different stages and things like that. Mm-hmm. But April 2017, I was out walking with a dog and I was listening to Jim Rohn, one of my heroes, on, uh, on my phone. And he said something that I've heard so many times. But for some reason, it just really hits me. He said, you need to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. I will get back to that. The other thing he said was, you must get rid of your blame list. Mm. Now, I have always prided myself with not having a blame list. You know, it doesn't matter who runs this country. I can still make my choices. And if it doesn't go well, it's not someone else's fault. It's my fault. Mm. If my staff doesn't do a good job, it's because I don't give them the right tools they need to, to do a good job. If I don't have much money, it's because I'm careless with money, you know, reckless with money, and I'm an idiot with it. So I never blame other people. I have always take responsibility for my downfalls and my mistakes. So it was quite convenient and comfortable to listen to Jim Rohn when he's talking about you must get rid of your blame list because if you don't have a blame list, it's, you know, it's a quite nice thing to listen to. Mm-hmm. But after I listened to about 10 times and I was out walking with a dog, it just hit me. I had a blame list. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very short blame list. But it doesn't matter how long it is, a blame list is a blame list. It was just one name written on it. And that was my ex-wife's name. Mm. Because everything was her fault. My, my failed marriage, uh, my life, everything, everything was her fault. Mm. But when I realized that I had a blame list and that I actually blamed her, I didn't know that I was blaming her. Mm. As soon as I realized I had a blame list, I could let go of it. Mm. That was the first time in my life I took full responsibility for my life. I realized that it was not my ex-wife's fault. Everything was my fault. 
And and I want to jump in there really quick. So up until that moment, you thought you had a clean blameless. There was in your mind, it was absolutely clean. I have nobody that I blame for anything. It's all yeah. it's all here. And all yeah. of a sudden, for whatever reason, that perspective shifted and you went, ah, oh, aha. And it was probably a pretty painful aha moment at that time. It wasn't. It wasn't. That's the thing. I work a little bit different than other people. Okay. So, you know, uh, it was not painful at all. For some people, I think that could really be a critical time in their lives. It could be a hard, crushing moment when you realize, hang on, it's actually all my fault. Mm. But for me, it was actually like I could finally start to breathe. Because I could take responsibility. See, the problem with that everything is someone else's fault is you can't do anything about it. Mm. But once you realize that everything is your fault, you can actually do something about it. Yeah. So for me, it didn't crush my life. It actually made me that I could finally breathe. That was the first time again in my life I took responsibility. Again, you can't let go of something you don't know you have. And if you, if you fool yourself, which I did, that you don't have a blame list, you can't get rid of the blame list. That's mm. why it was so nice to listen to Jim Rohn to talk about it because he didn't talk to me or he didn't talk about me. Mm-hmm. But when I realized, I had to listen to it about 10 times, I realized that I had a blame list. I could finally let go of it. That mm. made me look upon myself in a different way. It made me look on my, my ex-wife in a completely different way. Mm. And since then, I really am much calmer, much kinder, much more loving, much more caring. I do say, a little bit in a joking way, but I actually do think it's true. If you were to, I was going to say lock up, but you don't need to lock her up. But if you were to put my ex-wife in a room and the wife I have now in the room, in a different room, and somebody would come in and say, you know, talk about your ex-husband or talk about your husband, that person would not know that these two women are talking about the same guy. Mm. And unfortunately, they're both right. Mm. Uh, my ex-wife did have 22 years of bad experience with me and the person I was then. Mm. But you see, it was okay to be like that because it was all her fault. Mm. But it wasn't. And to come to realize that also made me realize that I am the way I am because I choose to be this way. It's no one else's fault. I am. This needs to stop. Mm. I don't want to be rude. But I just decided then, you know, I don't need to be an asshole anymore. Mm. And to be honest with you, it's, it's nice to not be an asshole. Right. And that was, again, I had a blame list. I didn't know. That was the first time I could take full control, full responsibility over my life. I was now in control, which I wasn't before, you know, since it was somebody else's fault. Mm. But it wasn't. It was all my fault. And that changed my life and it changed how I looked upon things, how I looked upon everything. You know, that's, that's a really hard thing for some, for some people to wake up to is their own responsibility in their own life. Sure, there are situations where um, one is a victim to someone else's actions. But I found in my experience, when I am a victim from someone else's um, actions, What's helpful for me is I look at it and I go, what was my part in this? And if my part was even one-tenth of one percent, I can make a change from that situation that happened and go, okay, if this ever comes up again, 
it may happen. I mean, this, a person may victimize me again, but I know what my part is and I can change my little bit of control in that. And that makes a huge difference in my life. It does. It doesn't matter how small or big part that is your fault or your responsibility, like you said, but that particular thing, that is something you can change. But you see, I didn't really need to worry about that because everything was her fault, which it wasn't. And I have to make that clear again. Right. To come to understand that really means that, right, you know, I can change. Uh, first of all, I didn't need to change. And secondly, I couldn't change because it was not my fault. Mm-hmm. And when you realize everything is my fault, you also realize it's all in my hands. I have the power to make the changes I need to do. And I have done so many changes and I continue to make them all, well or improve those changes. So mm-hmm. everything didn't happen overnight, but that realization, mm-hmm. that was really started everything. Then, mm-hmm. then it was also the other quote, you know, work hard on yourself than you do on your job. I, mm-hmm. I heard another quote that was connected to that, and that is that you're going to be the same person five years down the line that you are today. Well, you're going to be the, I can't remember the quote exactly, but you're going to be the same person that you are today five years in the future, except for the people you meet and the books you read. So I went home and I did an inventory of the books I read. You know, I read about, Lemmy from Motorhead. I read about Mertley Crew. I read about Kiss. I read about all the different people in Kiss. I read about ACDC. Uh, I read about Alice Cooper. And then, you know, just to top it up a little bit, I read about Marilyn Manson also. Mm-hmm. My, my first thought when I realized that was, yeah, there's no wonder my wife left me. Mm-hmm. I don't think she left me because I read those books, but mm-hmm. I think she left me because of the person that I've become from reading those books. Mm. I changed my library completely after that. And I started to read different books. And since then, I've written three books. I developed a new seminar. I have taken my company in another direction, which is now, um, uh, I was going to say galactic direction, but that's international (laughs) is the word. Yeah, not galactic yet, but it's an international direction. And, you know, things really have changed in my life. And they have changed because I changed. And I changed because I realized that, again, there's no pretty words around it. I was an asshole and I didn't need to be that anymore. Right. So this happened in April of 2017. That's only two, not quite two and a half years ago. And you were, so so in this five-year journey of, in five years, you're going to be the same person you were, except for the people you meet and the books you read. So you're only two, you're only about halfway through that journey. Yeah. It sounds like you see yourself now as a com- completely different person already. What will you look like at the end, at the end of that five-year journey and the beginning of the next five-year journey? I, I have written four books. I just published one of them, but in those two and a half years then from now, I have published the other three books and I've probably written one or two more books. And I, we own with the company then a big mansion in the north of Italy where we can have really good training sessions with people that are interested in leadership and personal development. Mm. When it comes to me as a person, I don't think I'm going to develop any new skills. I just think I'm going to continue to be even calmer, even mm. nicer even more gentle, even more caring, mm. even a better listen, listener than I was two and a half years ago. Um, that is a process. So I have changed a lot of things in my life with the business, uh, my financial situation, 
and again, the books and the seminars and all that. But what I value most is that I'm actually a nice person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit, it takes away the edge a little when you have to tell people all the time that you're nice. But I'm telling you, Justin, I'm a nice guy. Uh, no, and I have to tell people that all the time. But, but no, I, I actually am. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. Uh, I'm happy about that I don't have to be right all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm happy about that I can, I can drop a discussion or conversation whenever I don't have to drill it all the way into the wall because I have to prove that I'm right even mm-hmm. when I'm wrong. We all know how annoying it is when people that are wrong refuse to see that they are wrong. Mm-hmm. But you see, I, I don't mind being wrong and I can see that I'm wrong. And the reason why I can see that I'm wrong is because I listen better. You know, I've had so many experiences of, oh, I never thought about it that way. And that is really nice to start to look upon things in a different way than you, how you used to look at them because you listen to somebody that says, oi, listen, this is actually how it works. And you just, wow. And I, I like that. So I think I will continue on that path for the next two and a half years. I don't think I'm going to develop any other qualities there, but I will improve the qualities that I have so far gained in the last two and a half years. And I have published the other three books and I have written one or two more books and we have that mansion in the north of Italy. Mm. That, that's where I am in another two and a half years. Nice. So the books that you've read so far in these two and a half years, what, give me one or two of them that have been most influential in your, um, in your life so far. Uh, you know, the, the easy answer, obviously, is the book I just read, but <laughs> it is actually just the book I read. It's in Swedish. It's, um, it's a Swedish book, but if you translate, it's called Surrounded by Idiots. Huh. And it doesn't mean that you're all surrounded by idiots, but he's pointing out in such a good way, you know, that you feel so frustrated with people around you sometimes mm-hmm. because you just don't get, I mean, how can you do that? Well, does this person on this, you know, you can get frustrated with people sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I can still be frustrated with people. But, but so I read this book and what he's pointing out is that, first of all, you are also surrounding other people, which means that you're actually idiots to them. Right. And surrounded by idiots doesn't mean that people are idiots. It's just you don't understand them. And you don't understand them because you're different. Hmm. And there's nothing wrong with being different. So there's different colors. There is red, yellow, blue, and green. And then there's different characteristics of those people. And I am so clearly a red and a yellow Hmm. person. A red Um, and yellow. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's a quite common combination. But there's different combinations. You know, very few are just one color. Mm-hmm. But red people, they are very forward. They're very onto it. They, are, they just run over people because they just want to accomplish their goals and they're just rude. And mm-hmm. they don't, you just, you know, you're just helping people when you tell them they're idiots. Right. That's what red people do, you know. They tell people how stupid other people are, but they're just doing it to help them, you know. They don't realize right, right. how annoyed other people are with that. And then you have the jello people that are very inspirational uh, but they also talk a lot about themselves and they're not very good listeners. So what I took from that book is it's okay to be straightforward. It's okay to be focused on your goals, but you can be nice about it. Hmm. 
it's really good to be inspiring to other people, but there's always time to listen to people. Mm-hmm. So what I've done is I try to take the things that I'm proud of, of being a red and a yellow person, and I try to work on the things that comes with being a red and yellow person that is not mm-hmm. good. Again, a red person, so usually very rude. I know all about, unfortunately, I am an expert of being rude. I love a, a quote. I can't remember who said it, but it was, rudeness is the weak man's imitation of strength. Mm. My ex-wife showed me that quote like 15 years ago, and I thought it was a great quote. Obviously, didn't get that she meant me, but meant you, rudeness man. is the weak man's imitation of strength. Red people, they are rude. Red people have a lot of good qualities, and I want to have those qualities. But you see, I don't need to be rude about it. And I love being inspiring like yellow people are. But yellow people don't listen because it's all about them. Mm. No, it doesn't have to be all about me. To inspire other people, it actually needs to be about them so I can Mm. hear them, so I can understand them better. That is what I take with me from that book. That's really cool. That, so, so that yellow thing that you mentioned there, that's something that I'm working on. And one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to help inspire others to see their own worth. And I think you might be a little bit familiar with that, uh, with that phrase. Absolutely. Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, and I love that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I am one who um, naturally wants to stand on a podium and just preach at people and tell them you should be this way or that way. And, you know, inspire them, but it's more of a preaching thing, but having these types of conversations where I, where I force myself to allow others to tell me what's most important to them and what has brought them to where they are today and what their hopes and dreams are for the future. man, that's so much more inspiring, not only to me, but I think to them because they have this opportunity to, express in a in a way that most people don't normally do the things that are most important to them and it makes them generally it makes people feel a lot better about themselves so i cannot think right now anyway of a single thing that i appreciate and value more than conversations like this Mm -hmm. it's that's why you know i go back to that all the time my friends when i grew up with my wife now it's just but my kids it's just that's kind of what I do for work also. I work like a coach. I coach people. And my, my ex-wife used to say that I didn't have a job. I was just sitting down talking to people. And yeah, okay, that's one way to look at it. But I cannot think of anything that I value more than a good and deep and meaningful conversation. I just, mm-hmm. I just love that. that. I find it very inspiring. I find it intriguing. I find it the best way to get to know people. And sometimes when you hear yourself talking, you realize how stupid you are and that could be a game changer. But also when you listen to other people, you, ah, oh, you know, I never thought about it that way. I love these kind of conversations. I really yeah. do. And, and one more thing that you brought up that struck a chord with me that took me back to a memory I had with a, uh, a sponsor or a mentor that I've had in the past. Um, he was kind of teaching me how to negotiate my own weaknesses in my life. And I was attending a class and I got home that night and I reported to him. I said, Hey, I went to this, this class and, uh, and I looked around the room and I thought the thought that came to my mind is if these bozos can do this, I can do this. And he kind of laughed at me and, and he goes, (laughs) he goes, 
if they're all bozos, I'm the biggest bozo driving the bus. I'm the bozo driving the bus. And it was funny, but at the same time, it kind of put me in my place and said, who are you to think that you're above these other people? I'm one of those idiots that's surrounding somebody else while these idiots yeah. are surrounding me. And now I see myself as, as one of the biggest bozos driving that bozo bus down the road. And it's been really, really enlightening to me to put myself in that place where where I, I am. I'm full of weaknesses. I have strengths. Don't get me wrong. I've got strengths. But I'm full of weaknesses that can be worked on. And I think you've hit on that really strongly here. And I really appreciate that, Christer. Well, that's good. Uh, I, uh, I have said many times over the year when I've had people working with me or people working for me, I said, if I'm the most competent person in this company, we are doomed to fail. And I really mean that. I, I was going to say, I'm a living proof of that, that there is a God because do people really know how incompetent I am and how far I still manage to come? It's nothing less than a miracle. So yeah. I'm not worried about being incompetent. I just like to surround myself with people that are competent. And I, I don't, I'm not worried about it. But I don't say that actually, like you said, then if, if those bozos are made, I can make it. But what I do say to some people is that, listen, <laughs> if I made it, I'm very sure you can make it. You know, this, seriously, if, if a guy like me can make it, anybody can do it. And yeah. I do actually believe that. So um, it's, it's true. Well, very cool. Um, I just have a couple of more questions for you. Um, what do you hope, as you, as you look down the line, you know, 50 years from now? Um, I'm hungry then, okay. You're so 100 then. You're probably in the ground, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But yeah. you look down the okay. road, what do you hope for your posterity? What, what part of you, what legacy do you want them to remember about you? I have an exercise in my business that is cool. What kind of words do you want to own? Mm. When people think of you, what do you want them to think of? Or when people see a specific keyword on a headline or something like that, you know, oh, that's Krista, you know, that's what Krista is doing or something. What, what, what words is that? And for me, it is focus, structure, goals, visions, but it really is also passion. And I really want my posterity or people that I work with or customers to me or friends, I really want people to find their passion and pursue their passion. I don't want them to waste time on anything that is less than passion. I don't want them to waste time on anything that is that they're not passionate about. So I think passion is very important. I had a personal mission statement. You were referring to your own mission statement there, and you know that I'm familiar with it, and I am because I was actually there. You know when you mm -hmm. uh, you you found it. Right. My mission statement is inspiring people to live their dreams. Mm. I think. I think it's a talent I have, it's a passion I have, and I really would like people that are close to me connect me with these words. Focus, structure, goals, vision, and passion. 
I have a great passion for what I do. And I would like people to be less scared and chase their passion. Mm. And no, I'm not in Italy yet. And I haven't moved much because I'm a little bit scared of moving. And I like being comfortable. But I am following my passion. I'm working with what I'm passionate about. I have written books about it. I develop seminars around it. I coach people in it, inspiring people to live their dreams because that is what I'm passionate about. Mm. Well, very good. So you are a, a coach for me. I've worked with yeah. you for the last several months in developing a few things that I'm really striving to put into practice. And I'm seeing a lot of positive results from that. I'm, I'm gaining a lot of uh, meaning from it anyways. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, exactly what you do and how people who are interested would be able to connect with you? Well, I have a business that is called MacArthur Business Consulting. In that business, I work with leadership and personal development. I give seminars, I have workshops, and I coach people individually. You have seen some of my seminars. I was with Therapy One where you work and we did workshops there. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I, I coaching you. So you have seen big parts of my company and that is what I do. And I love doing that. But I also have another part of my company that is called T. McCarthy. And T. McCarthy is, you can say, an extension of my work or is really is where I really can apply my passion in life inspiring people to live their dreams. Uh, Because in Team Accorte, I train people to coach off the model that I'm coaching you. And I've been coaching about 350 people. Mm -hmm. So if people are interested in learning how to coach, if people are interested in having an online job beside their normal day job, they can join Team Accorte. We have members in seven countries now. And, you know, you can become certified in being a coach where we can help other people to find their passion, where we can find, help other people to give them the structure they need to stay focused on their priorities. So in Team MacArthur, I train people to do what I do. And in my company, MacArthur Business Consulting, I give seminars, I coach people, and I give workshops. But everything I do, every book I've written, every seminar I give or workshops I do or coaching I do, it really is about helping people to find their priorities and then to stay focused on their priorities. Because there's a lot of reasons why people don't live their dreams. So there's a lot of reasons why people don't turn their visions into reality. And one of the major thing here is that they lose focus on their priorities. So I help people or I help companies to identify their priorities and then I provide them with the tools they need to stay focused on that priority because that is the key to actually turning a vision into reality. The reason why I come back to that all the time is because my book that is published is cool, Turn Your Vision Into Reality. Turn Your Vision Into Reality. That is something I am truly passionate about. So, yes, in my business, I give seminars, coachings, workshops in this. 
And in Team McCarthy, which is a part of my business, I help people to coach after the method that I have developed. Mm. Well, very good. So how, how would somebody be able to reach you if they were interested in, in talking with you or one of your, or becoming either to become a coach or to get some coaching? Anybody's welcome to contact me and they do that easiest or best on info at McCarthy.se. Info, not very hard to spell, at mm-hmm. McCarthy, that's M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y dot S-E, like in Sweden. So mm-hmm. info at McCarthy dot S-E, and that will come to me, and I would love to answer any questions anybody has. We give free public seminars mm-hmm. once a month where people can join in to learn more about how they can stay focused on the priorities, but also then how they can become coaches and in their turn help other people to stay focused on their priorities. Team McCarthy will have a mission that is called living your dream by helping others to live theirs. Mm-hmm. That's a value we share. You know, we live our dreams by helping other people to live their dreams and that's what we learn when we learn to coach after this model. We help other people to pursue their dreams. And this is the dream for us that does it. So, yeah, that's, but that's how you can get a hold of me. And anybody's, of course, welcome to contact me for any questions. Awesome. Well, thank you, Krister. Before, before we end this, do you have any other words of wisdom that you'd like to throw out there at anybody and everybody? If you think you don't have a blame list, you're probably wrong. <laughs> you probably have a blame list. It could be neighbors, it could be parents, it can be school teachers, it can be your wife, it could be your ex, it doesn't matter, but we usually have it. It could be politicians or whatever it is. But if you have a blame list, face it and get rid of it. Uh, Take full responsibility, don't blame anybody else. Don't even blame the traffic. Um, And the other thing is really work hard on yourself than you do on your job. You said from the coaching you have been through with me, you have seen some changes, you made some changes, and you pursue to implement those changes. That's because you work hard on yourself than you do on your job. We should always work hard on our jobs, but we Mm -hmm. should always work hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. If we work hard on our jobs, we can make a living. If we work hard on ourselves, we can make a fortune. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that would be the ending words from me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thank you, Christopher. This has been a meaningful conversation to me, and I hope it has been to you also. Absolutely. I, I loved it. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. So there you have it. I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Christopher. He's a good guy with a great story and a great uh, service to offer others. I will include the links to his sites, his what his books in the show notes, so you can go check those out if you have any uh, desire to do so. Now remember to go check us out on Facebook, Instagram, review us on the podcast platform you're using, rate us, share us with your friends and family. This is something that is uh, exciting to me. This is one of the passions that one of my priorities is sitting down and talking with people. As you heard in the conversation, Christer has helped me uh, create a bit of a focus in my life. And my phrase, my why, the thing that drives me is this phrase, inspiring others to see their own worth. 
And I hope that those people that I talk to are able to see a little bit of their own worth, the things that of value that they bring into this life for those around them and for those who come behind them um, in generations to come. It really does help me to find my own value when I and my own worth when I help others see their own worth. Now, on to in their own words. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this one's a little bit different than others that have been others have been stories about oh funny stories or harrowing stories about the lives of people who have gone on before us. This one is a poem written by one of my wife's um, ancestors, Elva Beatty, and this was written before 1942. And it's really a nice poem. It's a good one. It's one that as I read through it, I feel and see the imagery and the feelings and emotions that she has. And this is called Nothing to Do But Go. And it was written in Eunice, New Mexico by Elva Beatty. Nothing to do but go. In memories of mine, a gem I find that I read in the long ago. It stays in my mind like a clinging vine. Just a bit of a poem, you know. The refrain haunts my vagabond mind like a song that I've loved in the long ago. The road like a ribbon winds on and on and nothing to do but go. Oh, there's many a road in my native land from Maine to Mexico, from the scorching sands of the desert land to the mountain caps of snow. So I'll hie away at the break of day to scenes that I do not know. There's a song so gay in my heart today and nothing to do but go. Still I follow the gleams of my rainbow dreams where the west winds gl- gently blow to the desert scenes where the cactus gleams in the gray with a rose-like glow. There's the sweet cool nights of the mountain heights and the silver streams below. Oh, there's many a sight and my dreams keep bright with nothing to do but go. I think that's a really good poem. I think it's powerful. I think the imagery is great. And I'm grateful that she left that legacy for her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and on down the line who come after her. These are things that people can hear and read and get a sense of where they come from, what makes them who they are. And that's what this podcast is all about, making or giving people opportunities to share the things that are most important to them in their life so that future generations can can know where they came from and know the things that we in today's date and in yesterday's date have gone through to make the world what it will be in the future. Hopefully it will be a little bit better place because of the things that you and I are putting out there. If you or someone you know and love would like to share your story and share your Um, um, life with me on this podcast and with others, please reach out to me through our website at www.jtlpod.com and we'll set up a conversation. Thank you once again for listening to this podcast, for sharing it, for loving it. Um, I love it and I hope it it is meaningful to you as it is to me. Have a fantastic week. Mm -hmm.